What is going on, everybody? Pastor Chris in the house. Hey, I'm pumped. As I said last week, we're starting a new collection of talks entitled Residing in Babylon. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible collection. Don't miss out on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the Harbor. It's fantastic. Hey, a couple things before we get started in this collection. Uh, I do need to mention that this upcoming Monday, uh, if you are listening to this past the 7th of November, this is not going to mean anything anything to you. However, uh, November 7th coming up, our ministry is going to be going to Amazing Love, which is a local homeless shelter and we're going to be handing out food, serving the homeless, uh, and then participate with them in a church service. It's going to be awesome. You can check that address out on our Instagram. We're going to share that there. Um, and so make sure you interact with us that way as well. Again, mark your calendars, November 15th, our second annual Friendsgiving. It's going to be an awesome time with, with again, traditional Thanksgiving. There's nothing better than a traditional Thanksgiving coming into the Thanksgiving. Maybe that's debatable. Maybe you could, maybe you could argue for something else um, in the continuing the conversation podcast, but uh, make sure you're there for that 8 p.m. at the Harbor. It's going to be an awesome, awesome night to fellowship together, to eat together and to study God's word. So make sure you connect with us with that. Well, we're going to, again, begin a new collection residing in Babylon, and we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter one. And what is it about a name? What is it about your name? And we're going to look at that. And we're going to ask God to speak to us and to show us what our name means and why your name is important to the culture or the fabric of our culture. So that's what we're going to talk about coming up here. So let's get started. Part one, residing in Babylon. Here we go. Well, again, we're starting a new collection of talks. And in this one, we're going to look at what it looks like to reside in modern day Babylon. And we're going to parallel that with Daniel chapter one, one through seven. So my prayer during our time together over the next couple of weeks in this collection is that you'll see how the Bible and those in the Bible faced similar experiences and struggles that we do as followers of Jesus. Now, I do understand and I do get the fact that when we read scripture, and maybe you need to understand this as well, is that when we read scripture, we're, we're reading it from near, a near Eastern context, the authorship from a near Eastern context. It is not necessarily the context that we currently live in. And so there is a bit of differentiation when it comes to context. So understand that as we read the scripture, as we talk about this, 
the book of Daniel, that the authorship and the readers were coming from a different experience. Now, I will always say, and I'll always argue that the Bible continues to have relevance in our current day and age. It is timeless. That is the beauty of scripture, that it is timeless because Jesus is timeless. In fact, he created time. And we're not gonna get into that theology today. However, it is worth noting that scripture gives us incredible insight into what we face in our current day, day and age. So on this episode, I just want us to set the cultural expectations or aspects of what Daniel and some of his friends may have faced. Now next week, I'm pumped because Stephen Slay is going to be bringing God's word and he's going to be doing the podcast on next episode um, and what it looks like uh, as Daniel faces some other difficulties. He's actually going to build off of this talk. But uh, the book of Daniel, just to kind of get uh, the weeds out of the way here, the book of Daniel combines combines two types of literature. The first literature is apocalyptic. Now, we're not going to dive into the apocalyptic stories of Daniel. And a lot of the reason why we're not going to do that is because it takes a lot of time to parse out, to unfold, to really divide out what the visions that Daniel experiences actually mean and how relevant they are to us today. So I'm not going to do that for our sake. Maybe in a later podcast or episodes down the line, we'll take a look at some of that apocalyptic literature. The literature we're going to look at and the second approach that this book is written from is a narrative approach. So we're going to take a look at the narrative of this book. Now, this narrative found in the book of Daniel, it displays God's goodness. It shows us how God was good to Daniel as well as how he can be good to us. It also shows how God protects and also promotes Daniel and his friends in the midst of being in a different cultural climate than one that he was raised in. And so their ability to remain faithful as followers of Yahweh, God, that was his name, Yahweh, in the midst of cultural change is incredible. And so we can learn from that. So if you have a Bible, you want to follow along, Daniel chapter one is where we're going to begin in verse one. So here we go. Pull it up on your phone or open up the actual analog Bible to use those terms. Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Means he took it over. He conquered it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So stop right here for a second. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes to Judah, comes into the city of Jerusalem and besieges it. He takes it over and then he kills Jehoiakim because that's what you would have done to establish dominance. You would have killed that nation that you would have overcome their king. It sends a message. This is no longer your king anymore. I'm the authority. Let's keep going. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Asevenes, 
chief of his court officials, to bring in to the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, the chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name of Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So we have this scene play out. And I want to point out something interesting, the name change. Now, I must admit to you, a lot of you may not know this. And I don't even know if this is going to get censored out from Spotify or iTunes or whatever. But my last name, Stephen, was not my name for 30 some odd years. Now, some of you know this story again. Some of you don't know this. So this may be a complete surprise. My last name for 30 something years of my life was Dick. Again, I don't know if that's going to get censored out of this. Uh, they're going to say, well, no, that's a, we're going to flag that word. But yeah, my last name was Dick. Now, I must tell you that middle school was absolutely the worst time of my life. And you're probably chuckling on the end. Of it. it was like, seriously, imagine your last name is Dick. In fact, one night, uh, one day, I'm sorry, I came home from, from, from school. I didn't share this last night when I, when I preached this message. I just remembered this. But I, I, I came home from school and I was crying because all the kids were making fun of me. And I, it just had clicked in my head that, oh, wow, like that's my last name. That's a funny word to a middle schooler, right? And so I was super upset. And my mom was like, listen, you can either learn to make fun of yourself and to accept that's your name, or you can let this bother you the rest of your life. So I, I did. And um, yeah, I, it was just a normal part of my life. In fact, in high school, and I think this was just an excuse for a lot of the kids just to get away with using this word out loud. Like I didn't go as Chris in high school. Most of my high school experience, I, I was, my name was Dick. Again, I think a lot of that is just because my friends got to use that name out loud and call me in the hallways and the teachers couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> like that's every high school guy's dream is to be able to, 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 to curse without getting in trouble, right? Or to use that, 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 that title as a, uh, or into window, right? Uh, and say it out loud, right? And without getting in trouble. And so that was part of my name. Well, as I progressed in, um, worship ministry. Yes, I used to do worship ministry. I used to be a worship leader. And um, actually, music was most of my life growing up before I became a pastor um, and preaching. As I uh, started doing that, um, I started traveling around a bit. And I actually had a conversation with my dad. And I said, listen, I don't think it's smart to introduce myself as Chris Dick. And he agreed 100% with that. <laughs> He's like, listen, like I don't think that's a smart idea. Uh, in fact, a lot of people think you're joking. Uh, he's, and he told me his experiences with using that specifically. I remember as a kid, like every time we would go to a restaurant and you know how you put your name in, he would never use Dick as the name to be put in. Now, nowadays it may be acceptable. People may be like, dude, that's hilarious. But when I was younger, he always used Richard and I was always curious of why that was. And so he would tell me, he's like, listen, I would always use Richard because people would always think it was a joke. 
So they would never take it seriously. So I was like, all right, cool. So I started going as Chris Steven. Steven is my middle name at the time. It's currently my last name. We'll get to that in a second. And so I go and I'm using this alias as Chris Steven. Now, when my wife and I get married, my wife comes to me and she says, Chris, um, I need you to do two things. I said, okay. I said, I need you to change your name. That's, that's one thing. I said, okay, how do you expect that, that I do that? And she goes, well, you need to go to the courthouse. So I did. And um, I did it largely because I wanted to, I wanted my kids to avoid the ridicule that I endured. The amount of invoices I have for counseling sessions is through the roof. I'm just kidding. It's not, uh, I'm, I'm just joking about that. But there, there is a moment of, of understanding that I really endured a lot of ridicule as a kid. And so I just kind of wanted my kids not to have to deal with that. And secondly, I wanted to make my wife happy. She's like, listen, I don't want that last name. You got to change it. So I did what most husbands do. And I obeyed my wife because I love her. And you know, the saying is happy wife, happy life, right? You men that are married that are listening to you are like, amen, right? And I would say like, if I disagreed with this, I would have st stood up and said, listen, let's have a conversation. But I completely agreed with her on this. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. No big deal. And so went to the courthouse, like 600 bucks later, you know, courthouse visit, sitting in front of a judge, changed it finally. And so when I went to my dad about this, I sat across the table from my dad and I explained to him, hey, listen, I'm going to change my last name. And I could see kind of pain in his eyes. And I re really didn't understand. I'm like, dad, like, you know, not to be offensive, but like when women get married to men, they typically take the man's last name. Like, why is, you know, this is no different. Like, it's okay. And um, I explained to him, hey, listen, I, I, your first name. So my first name, my dad's first name is Steven. So my dad's first name is now my last name. And I explained to him, listen, your name is going to live on in existence for as long as I really know he's going to be in my son's life, hopefully his son's life for, it's going to be part of our family tree. How awesome is that? Of course, you can start to see the wheels moving a little bit in his head. And then I said, dad, like I'm also going to use my grandfather's first name, which is George, as my middle name. So my name's gonna be Chris, that's my birth name. My middle name, George, which is my grandfather's name. And dad, your name, Stephen, which is your first name. We're gonna, I'm gonna have all three generations in my name. How cool is that? My dad was like, that's really, really cool. Now, what I realized later on is my last name, Dick, was actually something that uh, my great, great, great grandfather, I'm gonna say that was right, was adopted into that last name. He was actually a child that was birthed out of wedlock. And so he was adopted into that. And so I was like, dad, here's the other thing is like, we've changed our name before in history. And so as my dad realized this, he accepted it and he moved on. And I remember walking away from this conversation going, man, why was that so painful for my dad? 
Well, I understand now that there's something important about a name. We build our identity off of our name. Now, granted, I get there's other factors that build to the identity of who we are, but predominantly, we put a lot of emphasis on our name. In fact, as a parent, this is one of the greatest responsibilities I have for my children is to give them a name, a name that means something. When you look at my name, Christopher, it means in the Greek, Christophorus, which is Christ bearer. There's a meaning behind my name. There's a meaning behind your name. And so we, being given a name, there's meaning behind your name, behind the name you've been given. The setting that Daniel finds himself in, it, it would be considered modern day Iraq. Now the book of Daniel, it opens up with the deportation of the Jews, of the Israelites to Babylon. And this is around 605 BC. Now we can see uh, the historical evidence of this in 2 Kings 24 and Chronicles, or 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 36.6. And so Daniel and his three friends were part of the noble and royal family. We don't know what bloodline. We don't know holistically where they came from. Some people think Hezekiah. But they are taken as captives and sent to Nebuchadnezzar, who wants to assimilate these young men into the culture of Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar desires, he wants to control Judah without really taking military conquest to it. He doesn't want to destroy it. And so what he does is he places Zedekiah, kind of a puppet, this was a political move, on the throne in Judah. It's a, it's a political move that brings about propaganda for the Israelites in Judah to know that Babylon is good. It's a good place to go to. And so this serves Nebuchadnezzar because it allows the Israelites to trust the Babylonians. This move changes the way the Jews think and act. I think about uh, an analogy with this. You ever heard the uh, frog analogy? With, you know, you take a frog. If you were to put the frog in a pot of boiling water, it would jump out right away. But if you put a frog in just a pot of water and you turn up the heat slowly, eventually it will boil to death. And that is what Nebuchadnezzar wants here. He wants the Jews to slowly come into the possession of the Babylonians. This is a different kind of warfare than what we typically see in Near Eastern context. He wants to kill them off differently. He wants to do it through mind control. He wants to do it through behavioral control. Why? Because if you can change the way people think, you change what they believe. And when you change what they believe, you can eventually change the way they behave. This was Nebuchadnezzar's goal. He wanted to change the way they behaved. He wanted them to assimilate fully into Babylonian culture and life. 
two things before we move on. When we look at Daniel and his friends as they are captured and thrust into the assimilation process to become Babylonians, they study a bunch. They study the history of the Babylonian people. They study the literature, the language of the people. They learn what the diet was, which was a pretty big difference from Jewish diet, Jewish law that they would have grown up learning about and observing. And then as a cap to their progression of assimilating into a new culture, they would have changed their name. Their name would have changed. And so therefore their identity changes. Well, what do you mean if their name changes, their identity changes? Here's the deal for the Israelites. A name identified you with the characteristic of God. The name that each of these young men have, it identifies part of a characteristic of God. Their name meant something. It it identified who they were in God. It also identified who their people were and their family. And so the name change would have sent a message to the Jewish nation that Babylon had full control over who they were. Listen to this. This, Here's a scripture. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. They change their name into Babylonian names, which is understanding Near Eastern context, which means you're now changing your identity from one God to a different deity. One of the commentaries I was reading on this said this, it says in the ancient Near East, the name which contained the name of the one's deity was intricately connected with a person's identity. Thus, the Babylonians began the process by giving their captives new names. They give them new identities. So that's what first, what what Nebuchadnezzar wants to do. He wants them to understand the history of the Babylonian people, the literature, the language, the diet, and then as a capstone to change fully their identity from God, Yahweh, to Babylonian deities. Did you also see second, that he didn't just grab, Nebuchadnezzar didn't just take captive just your ordinary citizens. He took Daniel and his friends who were nobility. They were young. Did you see that? It says, then the king ordered Asphenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men. Nebuchadnezzar did this very intentionally. Why? Remember, if you can change the way someone thinks, You can change what they believe and then how they behave. Then when you change how they behave, their identity morphs into something you want them to be. You want to change an entire nation? Get the elite to change their mindset, their belief system, and how they behave. And you have the ability to influence and change people's behavior. We're seeing this in current modern day Babylonia. We're seeing this now in America. People are changing 
the way they think, specifically around Jesus, around Christ, around God, around the Bible, Scripture, around a bunch of topics. And who is influencing this? Not the pastors anymore. The gateway to understanding God now is not the pastors who preach up on Sundays or the college pastors who preach on whatever night they meet or youth pastors. No, it's the influencers that are influencing people on social media. Those are the elite. And most of the time you're young. You get the elite of this culture to start communicating something that is not accurate. It changes the way people think and what they believe and how they behave. Because you and I live in a culture that currently wants to change our name. The culture wants to assign us a new identity to show us that who we are in Christ is not who we really should be. This culture wants our name to be changed from someone who is called a quote Christian, end quote, to somebody that uses the name Christian but doesn't actually prescribe to the commands of Jesus. There's a culture that wants to convince you to be a fan of Jesus instead of a follower of Jesus. We see this in Jesus' day even. There were people that were only there to follow Jesus because they wanted something from Jesus. They were casual fans. They were a casual observer of Jesus. It's fascinating when you study Jesus' life and a lot of his teachings He says some really difficult things. And it's interesting that the moments he shares difficult teachings, people leave to the point where he even asks his disciples, his close followers, hey, are you going to leave me too? We see this all the time in our current structure of sports. I never met a Clemson fan until just the last seven years. It's like they came out of the woodwork. Dabo Sweeney comes along, wins a couple championships, and now there's Clemson fans everywhere. I remember there was a day and age where like Alabama was a blip on the radar in the, the Southeastern Conference. I couldn't find an Alabama for miles, a fan for miles. Now all of a sudden, it's roll tide everywhere. I live in Florida. I'm like, what is happening? But it's interesting. I guarantee you some of these... Teams start losing. The moment Clemson starts losing a game, Alabama just recently lost to Tennessee. Man, what you'll start to see is some of these fans who are casual observers, they'll start they'll start moving on to other teams. Ah, well, they started losing. So, I'm, I, you know, I like Ohio State now. And I know this is a funny illustration. Some of you are getting really offended right now <laughs> listening to this. How dare you? I'm not a casual observer of Clemson. I've followed them since I was a kid. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you that is a is a diehard fan, right? I'm talking about those that that are are just following the the, the team because they're winning. I think it's interesting. We we have a, the same thing. We follow Jesus when Jesus leads us to victory, but we never follow Jesus. We want to we want to dismiss him. We want to stop following him the moment suffering comes around. This is what it looks like to be in cultural Christianity, to have people who call themselves Christians who are not actually following Jesus, who don't learn and love all the commands that he teaches. In his book, The Unsaved Christian, Dean and Sierra, who was a pastor in Tallahassee, the city church, I believe that's the church he's at. 
He says this in his book. He says, cultural Christianity admires Jesus, but doesn't really think he is needed, except to, quote, take the wheel, end quote, in a moment of crisis. The Jesus of cultural Christianity is a type of historical imaginary friend with some magic powers for good luck and sentimentality. Cultural Christianity is a mindset that places one's security and heritage, values, rights of patches, passage such as first communion and baptism from childhood, and a generic deity rather than a re- the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. There is a movement of ideas in cultural Christianity that places emphasis not on Jesus, but something else rooted in a philosophy that is not of Jesus. And I think this happens, this is, the, this is the enemy's ploy in a modern day Babylon to co- try to convince us otherwise, try to convince us of the opposite nature of who Jesus is, the opposite nature of the redemptive work and power of Jesus. But I think this comes because, as I mentioned in the last episode, when you are a follower of Jesus, you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood. Each of us are a royal priesthood. We are from royalty. And as we saw with Daniel and his friends, they were nobility. They were royalty. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, to get them because of that nobility. It changed the way they think, to change the way they behave, or the believe, and change the way they behave. Peter says this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are considered royalty. You share in the wealth of the king of kings. And what modern day Babylon is going to try to do, what it's going to try to convince you is going to try to change your name, to change your identity, because if they can change your identity, they can change the way you behave. No longer are you about following Jesus, you're about following self. You're about following the God of self, not the Savior of the world. And this difference, might I add, is so incredibly subtle. It comes underneath the full understanding of who you are. It is in all shapes and sizes, whether that's in the institution of academia and I dare say in the institution of the church. But if you can remember that Jesus, who has called you into fellowship with him, if you can remember the fact that he has put his name on you, your identity is in him. I love what Paul says in Galatians 2.20 about this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer you that live, but Christ that lives in you. Jesus identifies himself in you which identifies who your people are and identifies who your God is. 
your name means something. And in a culture that wants to change your name, wants to change your identity, you have to remember that your identity is found in Jesus Christ first because you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a possession of his own. Don't just be a fan of Jesus, be a follower of Jesus. And follow him to the ends of the earth. Well, that was part one of Residing in Babylon. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you were challenged by something. I know I was challenged uh, writing it and uh, talking about it. And it was also a lot of fun to kind of dive into uh, kind of these parallels between Babylon and Daniel and the modern day Babylon in America. I did get a question from somebody after our Tuesday night gathering about Daniel and they ask, hey, hey, Chris, I'm curious, is the book of Daniel written in Aramaic? And the answer to that question is yes. Daniel is the only book in the Bible. Fun fact, by the way, Daniel is the only book in the Bible that is written in two languages, Aramaic and Hebrew. And you may be wondering why it was written down in Aramaic. Well, I guess the only way to really describe this or to put this is that Aramaic was the common language of the day. And so just as English is predominantly the the common language of the West, and maybe it's a secondary language in some other countries, you may know English, right? I think the same could be said about Babylon, that the primary language was Aramaic. You got to think the world was much smaller then, meaning like human activity, Uh, as far as like recorded history goes. And so you have to understand that there would have predominantly been a common language, especially as empires grew. You know, you have Babylon, you have Persia, you have Rome. And so there were common languages. Uh, And so Aramaic during this time was a common language. So they would have written it down that way. Uh, And so that kind of answers that. Again, if you have questions about what you're hearing, don't fail to email me or send a DM to our Instagram, the harbor at BHC. You can ask questions. I'd love to be able to answer them as best as I can. So keep that in mind. Well, hey, um, it's been an awesome time. And um, again, just to reiterate, as I did at the top, Monday the 7th, we're going to meet at Amazing Love Ministries to help feed uh, the homeless as well as do a service for them, a worship service. And then, again, reminder, do not forget, be there. November 15th, Tuesday night, it's our second annual Friendsgiving. It's going to be an awesome time uh, to, to hang out, to eat some amazing food. So make sure you mark your calendars for that. As always, love you all. I hope you enjoy your day or your evening, wherever you are listening. Thank you for listening to the Continuing the Pod uh, Conversation podcast. I'm out.